All right. Today's passage, we are getting into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Last week, Pastor Mark um, finished preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been continuing this series now for um, several weeks now. He finished the end of chapter 4, and now we are on to chapter 5, on to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, this is a, this is a really hard-hitting chapter here. There's a lot going on here, um, as we'll see in a moment. So let me read here the chapter first, and then we will, we will go into it more. It says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is God's word. Um, so here is a really difficult and crazy situation happening here in the Corinthian church. Now, it seems like, you know, the first four chapters, uh, we had heard a lot about the division that was going on in the Corinthian church, which was very serious. As Paul said, anyone who destroys the temple of God, God will destroy. And the Corinthians, there were people amongst them who were destroying the church, destroying the temple of God with their divisions, literally trying to tear it apart, saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And they were just, they were, they were trying to rip, they were ripping the church apart by their actions. And Paul says to them as well, this is such a sign of immaturity amongst you. You guys are so immature. Uh, this is why I can't feed you meat. I've been giving you milk because there is this kind of division amongst you. Um, and, and now it seems like here in chapter 5, there is this change of subject, although it's definitely related, and, and we'll see how in a moment. But what's happening here in verse 1 is Paul brings up this situation there where there is a man, it says, a man has his father's wife. So basically what's going on here is there is this case of sexual immorality within the Corinthian church where a man was sleeping with what is most likely his stepmother. A man is in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. Now, we don't know all the details of the situation. Uh, we don't know if the father is, is still alive or if he's dead. We don't know if he's divorced from this woman or not, or if he's still in a relationship with his wife and his son is also in a relationship with his stepmother. We, we don't exactly know what's happening here, but we do know this. It is a heinous situation. And for Paul, it is heinous. And um, he says, what you're doing here is not even tolerated amongst the pagans. So what he's saying is, 
what's happening here in the Corinthian church, this is something that not even people outside of the church do. And, and you got to know, in Corinth, Corinth was a very, very uh, sexually immoral and loose place. And, and the Greek Hellenistic culture of that time was not exactly known for being chaste. But Paul is saying, even amongst them, what you're doing here would be considered outlandish. That there's this guy sleeping with his mother-in-law, and you guys are not doing anything about this. Now, um, this woman probably wasn't a part of the church. She probably wasn't a believer, which is why Paul doesn't really talk about removing her from the community. She was probably an outsider, a non-Christian, that this man um, had, had married, and then his son was having this sexual relationship with her. Also, it says here, a man has his father's wife. So this is a present continuous tense here. So this is not a one-night stand type of thing. This is not something that this, this man did and felt bad about and repented and said, I'm, I'm sorry, I should not have done this. I repent of this. But this is an ongoing relationship. And that's really, really important for us to understand here. It's an ongoing thing. Apparently, the guy is not repentant of it. He's not changing his course of action. He's continuing to have this sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. And Paul is saying, how could you Corinthians allow this to be happening in the church? You should have removed this person from the church. Now, as I said earlier, lest we think that this is totally random, and chapters one through four were about a division, and now Paul's like, okay, let me go through my laundry list of things to talk to you guys about, and now let's move on to sexual morality. This is very much connected to what's going on earlier as well. For example, we see here Paul saying in verse two, and you are arrogant. In other words, you are proud. Now, we know pride was a problem for the Corinthians. Chapters one through four, pride was what was behind their factions. Saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Cephas, and I follow Apollos, is not really about lifting up Paul or Apollos or Cephas. It's about saying, look at me. This is who I identify with. I identify with a winner, Apollos, such an elegant speaker. That means I am a really sophisticated person as well. It was about themselves. So it was a really pride that was, um, that was causing these factions that were, that were there. And this pride is not only causing division, but pride was also leading to this arrogance and to this sexual immorality being tolerated within the Corinthian church. What, what, what I mean is, is this. They were so proud they were so arrogant. They thought so highly of themselves that it came out in this way. They thought that they were so spiritual that what they did in the physical didn't really matter. That's what they were thinking. Um, Paul says, and you are arrogant. I think another word that would be really good is brazen. These Corinthians were brazen in what they were doing. They're like, what does it matter if somebody sleeps with his mother-in-law? What does it matter if there's sexual immorality, actually? It doesn't really make a difference because we have the Spirit of God. We are spiritual people, and so it doesn't matter what happens to our physical flesh. It's not a big deal. They were totally dichotomizing life. Um, we see this later on. If we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 here, just a chapter later, uh, Paul points out their thinking. They would say things like, all things are lawful for me. But Paul says, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. The Corinthian mindset was, you know, Jesus came. He fulfilled the law. We don't need to follow the Old Testament law anymore. So it doesn't really matter. Now we're spiritual. It's not about the law. So all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want, including with my body, including sexually. But Paul's saying that's not true. Not everything you do with your body is helpful. In fact, some things lead you to being enslaved to sin and being dominated. It, to the church in, in Rome, Paul said something as well. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul there is saying to the Romans, no, no, we cannot think that just because we have the grace of God 
grace covers over everything, so it doesn't matter if I sin. In fact, if I sin more and more and more, there's more grace covering that sin. Isn't that great? Let's give God an opportunity to be gracious to us more and more. So let's keep on sinning. Paul's saying, no. How can we do that? You're, we're dead to sin. That is not the way we are to live anymore. We cannot continue on in sin. So the Corinthians, they, in their arrogance, were saying it doesn't matter what we do. And just like when they were elevating Apollos over Paul and they were valuing the wisdom of the world, eloquence of the Hellenistic culture, here they were also following the ways of the world in the ways of Corinth. You know, in Corinth, Corinth was known as like, you know, there was a, they would say things like, back in those days, if you were particularly like a drunkard or debaucherous or sexually immoral, they would say, oh, you're such a Corinthian back then. That's the adjective that they would use because that was the reputation of Corinth. It was where there was a temple to Aphrodite, goddess of love, and there were a thousand priestesses that served up in this temple. And what would happen is in the evenings, these priestesses would come down into the town, into the city, and they would have sex with people for money, and that money would be brought back to the temple of Aphrodite in order to further temple activities and whatnot. They're basically acting as prostitutes down in the city. And in Corinth, there were lots of sailors coming through, and, and it was that type of city, that type of place. This was what was going on there, and the Corinthians were becoming actually uh, like the people around them, the people in the Corinthian church. So there's definitely a connection here with their pride and with their arrogance. There's also a connection here with judgment. In verse 3, when Paul says, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Earlier in chapter 4, Paul was talking about judgment. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how he said, Paul was saying, you know what? I don't care if you judge me. Um, I don't want to be scared of the judgment of other people. That's not what I live for. Paul also said, I don't even judge myself. I am not to be the highest court of opinion when it comes to myself and my own actions. God is the one who judges. But he did go on to say that we are to judge according to what is written. We are to judge rightly. We are to judge according to the word of God. And that's why Paul here is judging this man according to the word of God. He's saying, no, sexual immorality is not allowed according to the word of God. He's judging him according to God's word. And he's saying this person should be removed from this community. In fact, he says in very dramatic language in verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Now, that's another way of saying removed from the Christian community. Now, we'll get into verse 5 a little bit more later on, but um, I want to talk about two reasons, two reasons that this person should have been removed from the church. Um, and this is the topic of church discipline. This is actually what the church nowadays will call excommunication, ex meaning out of, communication meaning the root communion or fellowship. This man was being removed from the fellowship of the church. And there are two reasons that Paul gives in this passage that sometimes, as difficult as that is, that needs to happen. And it's something that the Corinthians should have already done in the case of this man. Two reasons. The first one is this. In verses 6 through 8, here again, let me read this one more time. He said, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, what's Paul talking about here? Well, to understand this, first we need to understand leaven, what leaven is. Now, I am not a baker, okay? But based on my research and my understanding, 
Leaven is a, a, a fermented piece of dough, a piece of dough that already has yeast in it. And what you're supposed to do is you take this piece of leaven and then you put it into a new batch of dough, a fresh batch of dough, and you knead it, right? You mix it up. And what happens is the, the, the fermented piece, the leaven, will start to spread its yeast and its fermentation into the rest of the dough so that the whole piece of dough becomes fermented, right? And then you can put it in the oven and you bake it, right? But before you put it in the oven and you bake it, you take a piece of it out, back out. And that, that is left behind as a piece of leavened dough for the next batch of bread that you bake, right? That's, that's what leaven is. It's like starter. It's like starter. You guys know this, right? During COVID, I know people were baking like crazy, right? Some of you guys, I saw so many pictures of bread on Instagram, right? You guys are all like, oh, I know that. I'm totally expert in that now. Um, leaven is the starter, right? So Paul is saying, um, what he's saying is that sin is like leaven. It does what leaven does. In other words, sin spreads. Just like a piece of leaven, if you put it in pure dough, and you, and you leave it in there, it starts to spread and leaven fills the entire piece of dough. He's saying that's what sin does. Sin left unchecked in the Christian community, sin spreads. And because this man is unrepentant of his sexual immorality, you can't just leave him in the church like that because that sin is going to spread. Jesus said something similar in Mark chapter 8. When he was talking to his disciples, he said, he cautioned them. He said, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What was he talking about? He was talking about hypocrisy. He was saying to his disciples, watch out for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They seem all religious, but they aren't. If you're not careful, that will infect you and you will become like them. Thinking religion is just something you do on the outside and it doesn't matter what's going on in your heart. As long as you look good to people, it doesn't matter what you do in secret. Jesus said, watch out for that. Paul, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said to the Corinthians, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Don't be fooled, guys. Bad company, sin left unchecked in our midst will ruin good morals, will affect the rest of us because sin spreads just like leaven. Brothers and sisters, if there is gossip going on in our church and, and people are talking about other people behind their backs and, and not in flattering ways, right? If we leave that unchecked, what the Bible is saying is here, eventually more people will start to gossip and talk like that. And then more people will gossip and eventually our church will be known as a church that gossips and talks about people behind their back. If we have within our church the love of money and materialism, and we don't address that, and we, and we, don't, we leave that unchecked, eventually that will spread. And in, in our conversations, all that we will hear about are where we're going on vacation, the, 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 the new nice restaurants to go eat in, what type of car you're thinking about buying, what you want to do with, you, with your house, and, and what type of job would be the next good jump. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but we will eventually become a church that, where that's all we talk about because that spreads that idea of that's what we're supposed to live for. If there's sexual immorality in our church and we don't deal with that, I guarantee you over time, the sexual standards in our church will lower as well. And then people eventually think, well, what's the big deal? Why do I need to wait for marriage before having sex? People all around me are doing it. They seem fine. It's only a matter of time before the standards within the church lower as well. When sin is left unchecked, sin spreads. It's like leaven. This is why Paul says in verse 7, cleanse it out. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And what Paul is doing here is he's referring back to Passover 
and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You guys remember this from Exodus in the Old Testament? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what happens is first you have Passover, right? Where you sacrifice the, the lamb, the Passover lamb. And then after that, you are supposed to have seven days where you celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there was to be no leaven anywhere in their houses. You were to eat bread baked without leaven. So it's flat. There's no yeast. It doesn't rise, right? It's like a modern-day matzah, if you will. If you've ever had matzah, like a really flat type of bread. And so what the Israelites did, what the Jews did, was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they, their families, would search through the entire house looking for leaven, looking for any starter, looking for any bits of it, be out of obedience to God, and they would look for it, and they would find it, and they would cleanse their house of it completely. They would remove all of it from their homes. By the way, that's where we get our tradition of spring cleaning. Did you know that? It comes from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which took place in springtime, March and April. That's where we get that from. But the Israelites would cleanse all the leaven out of their homes for seven days. And what this, what this pointed forward to was what we are to be as a Christian community, a people who cleanses sin out of our community, to be a people who are a holy community, not one that is filled with sin that lives like the rest of the people in this world. Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. This is that some theologians call it the already not yet language. What he's saying is, you already have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's who you are. When God looks at you, he doesn't see any sin because of the blood of Jesus. But now be who you already are. Live according to who you already are. God has declared you righteous. Now through the power of the Holy Spirit, live as God's righteous people. That's what, that's what this pointed forward to. Removal of leaven, cleansing um, the Christian community of sin, removing that from its midst. Now, he goes on here and he talks about this Passover imagery. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Just like in the Exodus, the people of Israel took a lamb and they slaughtered it and they put the door on the post, uh, put the blood on the doorpost of the house. And the angel of death came through Egypt and the firstborn in every home died except for any home with the blood of the lamb around the doorposts. And the Israelites, out of obedience to God, their firstborn were spared. And then they were able to leave Egypt. They were able to leave the place of slavery. Paul is saying, hey, that is really pointing forward to what Jesus Christ, the true lamb of God, has done for us. He has died for us upon the cross so that we could leave, not Egypt, I've never even been there, but so that we could leave slavery to sin, so that we don't have to live like the people of the world anymore. We don't need to live the way that we used to live. And Paul says, so let us celebrate the festival. Let us celebrate, guys. Let us celebrate the fact that our sins have been forgiven and we don't need to live in slavery to it anymore. And we celebrate it not just for seven days, not just for seven days of removal of leaven from the house, but we celebrate it for our life, for a lifetime, that we can be God's holy people, that he has freed us from slavery to sin, and we can walk in holiness and righteousness. Let us celebrate that, and let us remove the leaven of sin from our lives and from our communities so that we can walk with God. This is what Paul is saying there. Gordon Fee, the theologian, he said this in his commentary on, the first, on first Corinthians, those who persist in that former way of life, not those who simply struggle with former sins, do not belong to this new community. By their own actions, they have opted out. The community must distance itself from such people for its own sake. This is not the rigorism of a Tertullian, it is a reflection of the essential nature of the community of the Spirit, which is to be different from the world in which it lives. I love what Gordon Fee says here. And it's important to note what he says there, not those who simply struggle with former sins. Brothers and sisters, 
this is not, this doesn't mean the church is going to be a place where we're perfect. That's not what this is saying. The gospel message is come as you are. Come, sinners, come as you are. Come with your brokenness. Come with your sins. Come with your, your flaws. Come with your past. Come with all of that. Come as you are and experience the forgiveness through the cross. But it also says you cannot stay as you are. God did not bring you out of Egypt, out of slavery to sin, so that you could remain a slave to sin. God brought you out of slavery to sin so that you could become sanctified, become holy, become like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. God saved us out of slavery to sin, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change. We can cleanse the leaven of sin out of our hearts, and we can cleanse the leaven from sin out of our community so that we can truly be the people of God, be the holy community he called us to be. You know, when, when God um, took the Israelites out of Egypt and then he kicked the, you remember all the, the people in, the, in Canaan, the promised land, the Amorites, Jebusites, uh, Hivites, all of those, and he kicked them out because of their sinfulness. He kicked them out and then he gave the land to the Israelites and he said to the Israelites, be different. Be the light unto the nations. Show all the nations around you what it looks like when a nation follows the true God and not the false gods around them. Show them what they are, what it is like. But do you know what happened to the Israelites? Look in 2 Kings, it says, but they did not listen. And Manasseh, one of the kings of Israel, led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. And they... God kicked out those nations because of their sin. He judged them. And the Israelites came in, and then the Israelites became worse than even the nations that were there. And guess what happened to them? The Assyrians came and took them into exile. The Babylonians came and took them into the exile. Brothers and sisters, God took the Israelites out of Egypt, but the Israelites did not take Egypt out of their own hearts. They were called to be different. The church, brothers and sisters, is meant to be the light of the world, the city on a hill, as the Bible says. This is, this is what we're meant to be. In a dark, dark world, the church is meant to shine the light of Christ brightly to those around us. But if there is sin within us that is unchecked, we become more like the world. We become dimmer, and we become darker as sin spreads more and more and more in our community until eventually we are no different from the world and any distinction between us and the world disappears. And we become just like the world around us. And that's what was happening with the Corinthians. And Paul's saying, no, this is not who you were called to be. We were called to be a holy community. Sin spreads. Therefore, remove the sinful man from among you. Practice church discipline so that you could be the pure community of God that God calls them to be. The second reason this man was to be removed from their community was because of restoration. We look here again in verse 5. Paul says, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, what does this mean here? What does this mean, deliver this man to Satan? Now, there's, there's different views on this, but this is what I think it means. Basically, Paul is saying, take that person who calls himself a brother and remove him from the Christian community. Let him know, brother, you are no longer a brother. You are no longer a Christian in our eyes. You are not a believer. And, and, the, and the goal of this, the goal of this is that this man would go, what? Are you serious? You're, you, you actually don't think that I'm a Christian anymore? Oh my gosh. All right. I guess this is really serious. Well, you think it's really serious. I guess this is really serious. Everybody thinks this of me? 
that I am no longer a believer? That's right. Based on your unrepentant way of living, of your sin. Wow, okay. Maybe I'd better really think about this then. Maybe I better really consider, am I really in the Lord or am I not? And, and, and the hope was that this person would realize through this tough, tough love that, they, that there was a problem in the way that he was living and that he would actually repent of that and come back to the church and that the church would see his repentance and actually would, would restore him into relationship in the community and would be able to say to him, brother, you know, hey, we, we, we thank God for your repentance. We thank God that you're no longer walking in this path. And now we see that repentance in you. Repentance is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that you are a Christian. We affirm that and we welcome you back into our community. This is what the hope was. This is what the destruction of the flesh is, to destroy the carnal nature within him so that he realizes that he can't keep going on like that and would turn back to God. Paul did this as well in 1 Timothy. We can see that he did this with others, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, this was something that Paul did regularly in his ministry, in the churches. This was a practice within the churches. Now, the Corinthians did not completely understand Paul. You see, he wrote to them a, a prior letter to this one. I know this one's called 1 Corinthians because it's the first one that we found, that we had, but he has written other, at least one other letter to the Corinthians. In that previous letter, um, apparently, the Corinthians didn't understand Paul. Paul told them the same thing not to associate with sexually immoral people. And the Corinthians there basically were saying, what? Are you serious? Look at where we live, Paul. We live in Corinth. I mean, that's impossible. There are sexually immoral people everywhere. We literally have to leave this planet and go to the moon and live there if we're not going to be around sexually immoral people. They're in the marketplace. They're in the schools. They're, they're everywhere, Paul. And Probably that might have been part of their criticism of thinking Paul, his teaching is not good or it's not relevant or whatnot, their criticism of him. And Paul here is clarifying to them. He's saying, no, 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 no. I don't mean you can't associate with the sexually immoral people in this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Yeah, because then you'd have to leave the world. Yes, it, it doesn't mean you can't be around them or talk to them at all. I mean, we are around coworkers who who have very different lifestyles than us, who don't acknowledge the name of Jesus. You're going to come across bosses like that. You're going to have classmates like that. You're going to have neighbors like that. You're going to have your kids, friends, parents are like that. People at the gym that you get to know are going to be like that. They don't worship our God. We're surrounded by people who don't worship our God, whose God may be money or sex or something else or pride or recognition, something else. We're surrounded by those people. There's no way to get away from that. Paul is saying, not saying to remove yourself from them. He says in verse 12, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? He says, we don't judge outsiders. They don't acknowledge our God. They operate with a different worldview. Paul says, God will judge those outside. Leave that to God. It's like the parable that Jesus gave of the wheat and the weeds, where the, the people of God are the wheat and then somebody comes along and says, there are weeds here amongst the wheat. What happened? And Jesus said, leave it alone. Leave it alone. And at the end of the day, God will come in his judgment and separate the wheat from the weeds. In other words, let God be the one to judge those on the outside. That's not up to us. This is why with people who don't know Christ on the outside, we share the gospel. We share the good news of forgiveness of sin with them but we don't hold up signs saying, you're going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. And um, that's, that's judging them in a way where we're assuming they already believe in our God. No, we plead with them that they may come to know Christ and the forgiveness of sin that is there available through him. But Paul says in verse 11, but when it comes to within the church, when it comes to people who call themselves Christians, 
when people who consider themselves brothers and sisters in the church persist in unrepentant sin, Paul says those people we are to judge. And again, I know judge sounds like a word we don't like nowadays, but it means we are to discern their way of living and to be able to say, brother, sister, that is not right. You're not living in accord with the word of God. In fact, Paul says, do not even eat with such a one. Now, at the very least, that means that you shouldn't have communion with them, right? If we do not think that they're believers, but it might have meant more than that as well. It might have even meant giving them a cold shoulder in some sense if they think that they are Christian out of tough love so that they would recognize, they would not take for granted their position in Christ. Jesus said in John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus said here, similarly, like Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's not saying that we're going to be taken out of the world. But he says that we need to be kept from the evil one. We need to be sanctified. We need to walk in holiness and in purity. So the goal of this person being removed from the church was the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved, so that he would see that he was walking away from God so that he could spend eternity with God in heaven. Um, Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 18, which is the, the classic passage here. Lest we think that it was only Paul and that Paul is a really mean guy or something, listen to the words of Jesus himself. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I know that's a really classic passage when we say, you know, where there are two or three, God is with us, right? We always use it like, you know, when there's like a prayer meeting or a church meeting and it's like only two or three people there to console ourselves. We say, well, God, there's only two or three of us here, but you're here in our midst. That is not proper interpretation, right? That is actually about church discipline. That's what Jesus is talking about. This goes back to the Old Testament when, when Moses said in the law, don't, don't entertain any charges against somebody unless there are two or three witnesses. It's about church discipline. Jesus here is saying that if you, in this process of confronting somebody about their sin, if they just won't listen, they won't listen to you. They won't listen to two or three witnesses. They won't listen even to the church. Then you are to treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. You're basically to declare you're not a believer. We do not believe that you are in Christ. It's tough love, brothers and sisters. And the Bible says that it is love. It is for the restoration of their soul. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What that means is that, you know, when you do this, be really careful because I'm there amongst you. Make sure your discipline is in love. Not because you're tired of somebody, not because you want to get back at somebody, but do it in love because you love them for the sake of their soul. You don't want to see them spend eternity apart from God. Do it in love to restore them. Do it carefully. Do it wisely because I am with you in your midst when you do that. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. I know that this is a, this is a tough message. 
nowadays, especially in, in our modern society. I thank the Lord that we preach the Bible through books because we don't skip over anything. I got to preach this. It's the Word of God. We, we get, you know, nervous about words like church discipline or things like that. We're a society that really doesn't like authority. You know, I, I, don't, I don't even feel like I can call somebody up nowadays as pastor of church, right? Like, I feel like I need to send a text to somebody first, giving them a warning. Hey, I am about to call you. Is that okay? So I call them directly. They're like, oh, why are you calling me pastor? Back in my day when I was growing up, we just called people. Now it's like, greetings, friend. I am going to call you. Can I call you? And then I have to wait for the response. Times have changed. Times have changed. I know it's, it's a different kind of time we're living in. So this is a really hard teaching from 1 Corinthians 5, but it's biblical, brothers and sisters. It is, God knows best. And this is there because he knows, like, like, the, like the hymn says, Lord, our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. We're prone to leave the God I love. So he gives us a Christian community that speaks tough love to each other, even to the point of church discipline and excommunication because we love each other and we don't want to see us walk away from God. Brothers and sisters, you know, like when I first moved here to California, one of the earlier vacations that me and Christine, our family did, was we drove Highway 1, the Pacific, Pacific Coast Highway, or, or is that different? The PCH, right? Right along the coast. Man, it is beautiful. It is amazing. If you have not done that drive, you should do it. It is absolutely amazing. But you know what? At certain points, it's absolutely terrifying. You know why? Because you're driving along a cliff the entire time, basically. And there are certain points when you're driving along the cliff and the guardrail disappears. There's no guardrail. And I have not experienced that before. And I remember when I was doing this drive, and I'd be like, where did the guardrail go? What's beyond that guard? Oh, it must be like a gradual slope. That's why there's no guardrail there. Nope. 50-foot <laughs> drop. <laughs> why isn't there a guardrail here? <laughs> and Christine or, you know, my kids, oh, look at that. It's so beautiful. Nope. Can't look. Cannot look. <laughs> there is no guardrail. I'm terrified. Terrified. Got my wife, my kids in the car. There needs to be a guardrail along certain stretches of the Pacific Coast Highway. Brothers and sisters, the church community, church discipline, even excommunication, it is meant to be our guardrail for us as a community to protect one another. Now, you can think, I, can, I don't need that. I don't want anybody coming and talking to me about my personal life. I don't want anyone coming and judging me or pointing out my sin. And you can say that and assume that you don't need guardrails. But brothers and sisters, I would argue that based on 1 Corinthians, that there is a pride and a hubris behind that, that thinks that we are standing on firm ground when we really need the community around us to protect us. We understand as a society the importance of interventions. When you see somebody strung out on drugs to to put them to do an intervention for their own sake, for their life. When you see somebody in the gambling addiction to, to do an intervention, when you see somebody about to commit self-harm to do an intervention, how about when somebody is walking down a path where they may spend eternity, their soul separated from God, their life separated from God? Why do we think we don't need interventions for that? Or tough, tough love. Brothers and sisters, the reality is, in, at least here in America, in this day and age, many, if not most churches, do not have a means of bringing about this type of restoration, this type of tough love that will really turn somebody around. Because in this day and age, we're afraid of turning off people. We're afraid of appearing harsh to non-Christians. We're afraid of maybe losing people from the church in general. People say things like, oh, church discipline, that's not loving. That's not loving. Do you know what's really not loving? Seeing somebody walk away from God towards an eternity without God and not having the courage to do something about it. That's not loving. That's not love. That's maybe avoiding awkwardness or a tough conversation. That isn't love. We renewal as we seek to be a healthy church 
the way that we seek to apply 1 Corinthians 5 and the way that most churches that seek to really apply these biblical principles do it is they do it through having something like membership, joining the church. Because when somebody joins the church as a believer, if it came to the point, God forbid, that we needed to do that type of tough love, we would say to the person, you are no longer a member of this church because we do not see you walking with God and we are scared and concerned for the eternal, where your soul will be for all eternity. That's how we do it. When you become a member of the church, one thing you're saying to this family is, be my guardrail. Be my guardrail. I do not think more highly of myself than I ought to. But if God has said that this is something that the church should practice for its own sake, and for the sake of its members, then I want to be a member of this church. You know, the church in America, this is a big weakness for us here. Because the problem is that when somebody whether it's, they call it excommunication or they call it disfellowship, whatever they may call it, when somebody gets excommunicated from one church, you know what they do? They go down the block and they just join another church. You couldn't do that in the New Testament times. There weren't that many churches around yet, right? When you were put out, removed from the fellowship, you couldn't just go somewhere else and feel like you're okay. You can do that in America, unfortunately. You could just go down the block and go somewhere else. Let me say this to all of you especially to those of you who are brothers and sisters, members of our church. If, God forbid, you were ex ever disciplined or excommunicated from our church or from any other church that you are a part of in the future, please, please hear what I'm saying. You could just go to another church. You could do that. And I'm sure you'll find a church that will just take you and won't ask any questions. But you know what that's like? That's like hearing from your doctor. Your doctor says to you, you know what? Unless you change the way that you live, my friend, you are going to die. And then you say, you know what? I don't really like what you're telling me, doctor. So what you do is you go and you shop around for another doctor until you find one that will tell you what you want to hear. Maybe because he simply wants your business and he wants your money. But guess what? Your health is still the same. Whatever was killing you is still killing you, regardless of a diagnosis made because the doctor doesn't actually know you all that well. Um, brothers and sisters, uh, I hope that if that ever happens to you, God forbid that it does, take that seriously. Take that seriously. If the church is a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that loves the Word of God and loves you, please take that word seriously. You may feel at that time that the church isn't being loving towards you, but I hope that you'll think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to God's design for the church. Brothers and sisters, if you, the bottom line is, if you don't want people in your life who love you enough to tell you when you're in sin, or a church, or to be a part of a church that loves you enough to, to do an intervention for your soul, then renewal is not the church for you, as we seek to be a biblical church, a healthy church. We want to pursue the Word of God because we trust the Word of God, not our own pride, not our own arrogance, not our own hubris. Brothers and sisters, let us celebrate the festival. Let us celebrate our Passover lamb, Jesus. And let us be committed, recommitted, to cleansing out the leaven from our hearts. Let us be committed, if we see our brother or sister in sin, to approach them out of love and to address their sin for their sake and for the sake of our community. Let us be committed to being the holy community that we really are. Let's pray. I want to invite the worship team up. Let's all stand together at this time. Friends, as we come before the Lord in prayer, um, you know, let me be the first to say that my heart is so prone to wander. And I, I need this just as much as anybody else in here. I need guardrails in my life. I've seen so many pastors fall into moral failure. And it would be foolishness and utter pride to think 
that I am beyond that. I need guardrails as well. We all do. And um, I, I want to uh, encourage you. I, I, want to, I want to ask you, what, what do you seek in Christian life? What part of a community do you want to be a part of? Let us cleanse out the leaven. Maybe there's sin in your life this morning that you want to confess and you want to bring before God. I want to celebrate the festival, Lord, and I want my heart to be cleansed of the leaven. I want a real spring cleaning in my life. God, there's been so much um, lust. There's been so much love of money and materialism. There's been so much fear of man and not you, God. There's been gossip. There's been unforgiveness, Lord. And I want you to cleanse that from my heart, God. Maybe that's your prayer. Or maybe your prayer is, God, give me a humble heart. I want to be, I want to be somebody who can receive correction. And I want to be somebody who's not afraid to give correction lovingly because we are called to be a holy community of God. So um, let's come before the Lord. I'm going to invite the prayer team up to the front this morning. We don't have too much time. I know we're, we're going over. We're just going to close in one song. But if you would like to receive prayer, I want to invite you to come up to the front and, and prayer team will love to pray for you here. But let's pray as we worship as well that God would give us this desire to truly be a city on a hill, a holy place, a people of God that are the light of this world. Holy Spirit, we invite you at this time. Lord, would you come and would you help us to be recommitted to being pure and to being holy and to loving you and to being the clean, the cleansed lump that we really are, oh God. You died, oh Jesus, to deliver us out of Egypt, not so that we can live as Egyptians in a different place, God, in slavery to our sin. Oh Lord, we pray, God, that you'd give us a greater conviction and longing for purity in our hearts this morning. We thank you. We thank you for the Passover lamb, Jesus, and we celebrate. We celebrate the holiness to which you have called us. In Jesus' name.